1: The Lord God Almighty And put your trust fully in Him It is better to look For His wisdom and timing Than lean on what you understand We have a Father who sees from above He knows when we have been tested enough, and He works together all things on behalf of the children that He dearly loves. So take heart and be strong, though His
2: ways
1: may seem long, it is better to... Wise to give up any idol we treasure and strive for contentment instead.
2: To John Bunyan, wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven, or have thy sins and go to hell? John Bunyan became a giant because he chose to leave his sin. He chose to go to heaven and not to hell. And so he repented of his sin and was converted and became a powerful witness in England and now throughout the world in his wonderful book Pilgrim's Progress. We named this broadcast after his incredible book Pilgrim's Progress. He began preaching and in 1661 he was put in prison. Why? Because he was preaching The gospel of Jesus Christ and calling men and women to leave their sins, but he was not licensed by the authorities. And so, what we have is a classic example of leadership that is ungodly people in charge. In America, we have an opportunity to vote and to choose who will be in charge. Tomorrow, Is that day to vote? Now, for example, here in the state of Virginia, we're voting on a Senate race between Tim Kaine and Corey Stewart. Now, I've carefully looked at both men. You do the same if you're in Virginia. But everything that I can see says that Tim Kaine is an evil man, a wicked man, not a Christian man. Well, Corey Stewart, on the other hand, is a Christian man, a family man, a man who has walked clean before God. Has he made mistakes? I'm sure he has. But he's not fundamentally unclean like Tim Kaine. Now I can say that because we're not a 501c3. We're speaking as Christians. So you know what? I'm going to vote tomorrow for Corey Stewart. And I ask you to do the same. Not because he's the paragon, but because compared to Tim Kaine, there's no comparison morally.
3: You will recall some time ago we actually did an interview with Corey Stewart on this broadcast when he was running for the governor of Virginia. (coughs) He's currently the governor of Prince William County, and he is now running for Senate. It was a wonderful interview, and one of my favorite things he said was that if he was elected governor of Virginia, that not one penny of the state budget would go to funding abortions. He's also pledged that if he becomes senator, now this is rather troubling, but evidently under the under the Clinton presidency, there was a public fund set up to settle sexual assault claims of our Congress members out of court, and keep them secret. So now I think it's 16 or 17 million of your tax taxpayer dollars have gone to hush up sexual crimes of our Congress members. Corey Stewart has said that if he becomes Senator of Virginia, he will release those names of those senators so that it can come out what's really going on and we can have some real accountability with our men and women in Congress. Now I just wanted to share with you, you can find out what's going to be on your ballot before you actually go to the voting office. I highly encourage you to do this. There's a couple different ways you can get to it. You can either just go on Google and search something like, who's on my ballot? And then put Virginia or Maryland or DC. If you want to go to it directly, the Virginia website is elections.virginia.gov. That's elections.virginia.gov. You put in your voting address where you're registered to vote. It will tell you your voting location and it will tell you everything that's on the ballot. Now for Virginia, we have some very important votes tomorrow. There's one one seat open for the Senate, one seat open on the House of Representatives, at least in my district, as well as two proposed constitutional amendments and in Prince William County, the chairman of the school board. And it will show you who is running for each of these positions, so you can do your research before you get to the poll. Now, for Maryland, the website is also elections.maryland.gov. That's elections.maryland.gov. Very similar websites laid out a little differently, but you will be able to find everything that will be on your ballot so that you can do your research, you can pray, and you can make an informed decision before you go to vote. We highly encourage you to vote. I don't know if any of you are aware of this, but over here in Occoquan, Virginia, there is a former prison in Lorton. It was actually, now it's in Lorton, but it's um, a former prison where a number of women's suffragists were imprisoned and beaten and fed rotting food, almost died, because they were peacefully picketing for the right to vote. They were picketing outside of the White House, actually. And they spent some horrific time in that prison. Men and women laid down a lot for us to have the right to vote. And this country is built on the government being a people elected by the people of the United States. So we don't have a right to just sit back and moan about the government. We're very much responsible before God for the government of this country. I do wanna share one more thing. When I lived in Michigan I was very impressed by how mobilized the average citizen is. I saw last time I was there they had set up what they called the working man's party because they wanted to be able to put candidates on the ballot who were average working individuals and so they had a number of people in this last election they had an adjunct professor at a community college they just had ordinary working people because they said we actually want to have a fair shot for people who understand what it's like to be an ordinary working person for them to be on the ballot that they could be put in office there's been always been a strong holding of the government accountable among the citizens of Michigan. They are not afraid to arrest their own governors and put them in prison if they have been embezzling money from the city. They are very much into holding large corporations accountable largely through unionization and strikes. So it's our responsibility to do the same. I wanted to share one more thing from Charles Finney. Did you want to jump in before I do that?
2: No, share the Charles Finney material.
3: Charles Finney spoke on the subject of voting in a rather interesting context. So this actually comes from a lecture called Hindrances to Revival. That's Hindrances to Revival by Charles Finney. And he identifies one hindrance to revival is the church not taking right ground in regard to politics. So this is what he says about it. The church must take right ground in regard to politics. Don't suppose that I'm going to preach a political sermon. But the time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and women and take consistent ground in politics. They must let the world see that the church will uphold no person in office who was known to be a thief, an adulterer, a gambler, a drunkard, He says it's so easy now to find information that every man can know for who everyone else has voted. He says if Christians will give their vote only for honest men, the country will be obliged to have upright rulers. All parties will be compelled to put up honest men and women as candidates. In other words, if Christians will say we're only going to vote for a righteous man or a righteous woman, then All parties will be obliged to put up honest men and women on the ballot. He says, Christians have been exceedingly guilty in this matter, but the time has come when they must act differently, as on the subject of slavery. So on this subject, the church must act rightly or the country will be ruined. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country, which we love and pray for unless the church will take right ground. Politics are a part of religion in a country such as ours, and Christians must do their duty to the country as a part of their duty to God. It seems sometimes as if the foundations of the nation are becoming rotten, and Christians seem to act as if they think God does not see what they do in politics. But I tell you that he does see it, and he will bless or curse this nation according to the course that we take.
2: Now, we've come to a time in our culture when in the last presidential election, both candidates were fornicators, both candidates were adulterers, both candidates were unclean, and yet we had to look at both of them and say, which one represents the policies that would be righteous for our nation? And the choice was made. Now, I urge you, vote tomorrow. Don't let any lies, don't let any discouragement keep you from the voting booth and exercising your responsibility before Jesus. It is a religious duty for an American to vote. Because what happens in this country, you are responsible for if you did not actively participate in preventing evil by going to the voting box. That's why again, I urge you, if you're in Virginia, to vote for Corey Stewart and not the wicked man, Tim Kaine. These are real choices we must make. Not always able to vote without holding my nose. But I'm going to vote for the one with less stench. So vote tomorrow. Mighty God of heaven, as we come today, we ask, please, that your will would be done in the American vote tomorrow. We ask that the forces of evil would be turned back. We ask that righteousness would be accomplished. We ask, Lord, that you would open the way for the gospel to go forward without hindrance and without persecution. Lord, we lay it all at your feet, and we trust you. But we will do our part as you direct us. In the name of Jesus, amen. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Where Ray and Alexandra Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. We're headed into deep water. I want to share with you again the book, Pilgrim's Progress, and then we're going to dive into a piece, uh, a sermon, by Catherine Booth, who lived from 1829 to 1890. She was the co-founder of the Salvation Army. As she openly speaks about what is repentance. Now, in Pilgrim's Progress, the number one allegory in English language, the second best seller historically in America, the Bible being number one, Pilgrim's Progress being number two, and yet, today, very few have even heard of Pilgrim's Progress. People see me and they say, Pastor, what is this Pilgrim's Progress? Where'd you get that name? And I explain to them who John Bunyan was. I'm going to begin reading. Listen carefully. And I recognize that as we speak today, there are two. There are two separate groups of you. I praise God for those of you who have left your sin, have been converted, you have repented of your sin, you have renounced it, and you are now living clean before God. We praise God for you. You are the backbone of this broadcast, and I plead with you, would you join in prayer today for the word that will be spoken. We need you. We need you to pray for us, to pray for our strength and our courage and our ability, for clarity of mind. And just a quick note, we're not doing an offertory today, but we're still $350 short of what is needed to pay the radio bill for last month. I'm standing by faith that one or more of you will say, yes, Pastor, I'll cover that. If you're that person, would you just write that check and put it in the mail and we'll rejoice with you. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, Chapter 1 As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came to a certain place where there was a cave. I lay down in that place to sleep. As I slept, I dreamed a dream, and in this dream I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a place with his face turned away from his own house. He had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. A man clothed in rags. A man dressed in his own righteousness. Our own righteousness is filthy rags before God a man who still walked in sin, a man destined for destruction. His face was turned away from his own house. That is, he knew the answer was not in the familiar. He knew there had to be another way to get to God. He knew that there had to be a journey where he could be led safely from destruction. There was a book in his hand, and Bunyan is talking about the Bible, and a heavy burden upon his back, a heavy burden of sin. How could he be released from his sin? Continuing, I looked and saw him open the book and began to read, and as he read, he wept, and he trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? In this condition, he went home. He tried to keep to himself for as long as possible so that his wife and his children could not see him in such distress. But after a short time, his anguish had increased so much that he could not remain silent. So he began to share with his wife and his children what was on his troubled mind, And this is what he told them. Dear wife and children, I am greatly troubled by this burden that torments me and grows and weighs so heavily upon me. Moreover, I have received information that the city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. When this happens, all of us will be destroyed unless, by a way I do not yet see, some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. Hearing this, his family was greatly amazed, not because they believed what he said to them was true, but because they thought he was losing his mind. So as the evening approached, hoping that sleep might settle his mind, they quickly put him to bed. We need the grace of God to quicken conscience. Some of you are so comfortable in your wickedness and in your sin. As one man said, you know, I feel like everything's going to be okay. Well, everything's not going to be okay. You leave sin and then you go right back to it. You get tired of it and you are rescued and you go right back to it. Bunyan is talking about finally beginning to get a hold of the reality that the normal life will take us to hell because it's filled with sin, with darkness, with despair. And the love of God begins to break out and shine upon us. And as that love of God begins to reveal to us the truth of who we are, and reveal the truth of our sin the holy spirit begins to call us to repent and to turn from that sin this is what's happening to this man the night was as troublesome to him as the day instead of sleeping he spent the night in sighs and tears so when morning came his finally his family finally came find out how he was doing and he said worse and worse he started speaking to them again about his fears and concerns but they became cold toward him they tried to deride him sometimes they would chide him other times they would just ignore him so he began retiring to his private room to pray for them and to pity them and also to try to find consolation for his own misery He would often walk alone in the fields, sometimes reading, sometimes praying, and for a long time, this is how he spent his days. Then one day I saw the man walking in the fields, which he often did, reading his book, and greatly distressed in his mind. And as he read, he burst out, as he'd done before, crying, What shall I do to be saved? I noticed that he looked this way and then that way, as if he would run, but he stood still because he could not decide which way to go. Just then I looked and saw someone named Evangelist coming toward him. Evangelist came to the man and asked, Why are you crying out? He answered, Sir, I understand from reading the book in my hand that I am condemned to die and after that to come to judgment. I'm not willing to do the first, nor am I able to do the second. The evangelist asked, Why are you not willing to die since this life is attended with so many evils? Because I'm afraid that this burden that is on my back will sink me lower than the grave, and I shall fall into hell. And sir, continued the man, If I'm not ready to die, then I'm not prepared to go to judgment and from there to execution, and thinking about these things distresses me greatly. Then Evangelist said, If this is your condition, why are you standing still? Because I don't know where to go. Then Evangelist gave him a parchment and unrolled it so that the man could read. It read, Flee from the wrath to come. When he'd read it, the man looked at Evangelist very carefully, and he said, Which way shall I run? Evangelist, pointing with a finger to a very wide field, asked, Do you see that distant narrow gate? No, the man replied. Well, do you see that distant shining light? I think I do, said the man. Then Evangelist said, Keep that light in your eye and go up directly toward it, And soon you will see a narrow gate. And when you finally come to the gate, knock and you will be told what to do. The cry of my heart is that those of you who are still walking in rebellion and sin against the Lord would be awakened to your true condition. It's my cry that if you're still walking in known sin and rebellion against the Most High God, that you would begin to think about that and begin to come to terms with the reality that if you continue in your sin, you are going to die. Oh, I know. Many today who claim to be Christians say, No, 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 no. You're covered by the grace of God. You're not going to die. That was the same sin Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden. Oh, you can eat of this fruit and you're not going to die? In fact, if you eat of this fruit, you'll become like God and you'll know what good and evil is. The same song and dance is being preached in many churches today. It is the devil's message. It is the devil's deception. That you can walk in sin and still be saved. That you cannot ever repent and leave your sin behind. That is a lie from the pit of hell. So we want to take a few minutes now. And we want to share with you Catherine Booth's perspective on what is repentance.
3: Booth writes, If repentance is an indispensable condition of salvation, let us look at it for a moment and try to find out what repentance really is and how full of confusion the world and the church are upon this subject. I say it because I know it by speaking with hundreds of people. May the Holy Spirit help us. Amen. Well, first, repentance is not merely conviction of sin. If it only were what a different world we should have tonight for there are tens of thousands on whose hearts god's spirit has done his office by convincing them of sin i'm afraid we would be perfectly alarmed astounded confounded if we had any conception of the multitudes whom god has convinced of sin as he did agrippa and festus i could not tell you the numbers of people who, in our anxious meetings, have grasped my hand and said, Oh, what would I give to feel as I once felt? There was a time, 15 or 17 or 20 years ago, and so on, when I was so deeply convinced of sin that I could scarcely sleep or eat, that I could find no rest. But instead of going on until I found peace, I got distracted, cooled down, and now I feel as hard as a stone. I am afraid there are tens of thousands of people in this condition, people who were at one time convinced of sin. There are thousands of others who are convinced now. They say, yes, it's true what the minister says. I know I ought to lay down the weapons of my warfare against God. I know I ought to cut off this right hand and pluck out this right (coughs) eye. That is, they know they ought to stop sinning. They are convinced of sin, but they go no further. That is not repentance. They live this week as they lived last week. There's no response to the Holy Spirit. They resist the Holy Ghost. Neither is repentance mere sorrow for sin. I've seen people weep bitterly and struggle, but yet hug on to their idols, and in vain you try to shake them from them. If Jesus Christ would have saved them with those idols, they would have no objection at all. If they could have got through the narrow gate with this one particular idol, they would have gone through a long time ago. But to part with that, that's another thing. Such people will weep like your stubborn child when you want him to do something which he does not want to do. He will cry, and when you punish him, he will cry harder, but he will not yield. When he yields, he becomes a penitent. But until he does, he is merely a convicted sinner. When God applies the rod of his spirit, the rod of his providence, of his word, sinners will cry and wince and whine and make you believe they are praying and want to be saved. But all the while, they are holding their necks as stiff as iron. They will not submit. The moment they submit they become true penitents and get saved there is no mistake more common than for people to think they are penitents when they are not that is there is no mistake more common than for people to think they have repented when they have not there are some of you in this condition i am afraid you are quite mistaken you are not penitents you have not repented God is true though every man should be a liar and if you had sought as you say you have and perhaps think you have if you had been sincere if you had been sincere and honest with God you have been, you would have been saved years ago may God the holy spirit help you to come out and be honest that is what God wants that you be honest oh he says why cover ye my altar with tears and bring your vain gifts just be honest and i will be honest with you and bless you but while you come before me and weep and profess and bring the halt and the maimed and the blind a curse be upon you god looks at you afar off be honest repentance is not mere sorrow for sin you may be ever so sorry and all the way down to death be hugging on to some forbidden possession, as was the young ruler. That is not repentance. Neither is repentance a promise that you will forsake sin in the future. If it were, there would be many penitents here tonight. There is hardly a poor alcoholic that does not promise in his own mind or to his poor wife or somebody that he will give up drinking. There is scarcely any kind of a sinner that does not continually promise that he will give up his sin and serve God, but he does not do it. Then what is repentance? Repentance is simply renouncing sin, turning around from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. This is giving up sin in your heart, in your purpose in your intention, in your desire, resolving that you will give up every evil thing and do it now. Of course, this involves sorrow, for how will any sane man turn himself around from one course to another if he does not repent of having taken that course? It also implies a hatred of sin. He hates the way that he formerly went and turns around from it. He's like the prodigal son. When he sat in the pig's pen among the husks and the filth, he fully resolved and at last acted. He went, and that was the test of his repentance. He might have sat resolving and promising until now if he had lived that long, and he would never have gotten the father's kiss, the father's welcome, if he hadn't started. But he went, he left the filth, the pig pen, the husks, he trampled them under his feet, he left the citizen of that country, he gave up all his excuses, and went to his father honestly and said, I have sinned, which implied a great deal more in his language then than it does in ours now. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And then comes the proof of his submission, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Put me in a stable, set me to clean the boots, just so that I can be in the family and have your smile. That is repentance, Jesus Christ's own beautiful illustration of true repentance. Have you done that? Have you forsaken the cursed thing Have you cut off that particular thing which the Holy Spirit has revealed to you? Is the but the hindrance that keeps you out of the kingdom? You know what it is, and you will never get saved until you renounce it. Submission is the test of repentance. My child may be willing to do a 150 other things, but if he's not willing to submit on the one point of controversy, he is a rebel and remains a rebel until he yields. Now here is just the difference between a spurious and a real repentance. I am afraid that we have thousands in our churches who had a spurious repentance. They were convinced of sin. They were sorry for it. They wanted to live a better life, to love God in a sort of general way, but they skipped over the real point of controversy with God. They hid it from their pastor, or from the deacons, and from the people who talked with them. Now I say Abraham might have been willing to have given up every other thing that he possessed, but if he'd not been willing to give up Isaac, everything else would have been useless. God wants your Isaac. You have got an Isaac just as the young ruler had his possessions. You've got something that you're holding on to that the Holy Spirit says you must let go of, and you say, I can't. Very well. Then you must stop outside the kingdom. I beseech you, do not deceive yourselves by thinking that you repent, for you do not. But, my dear friends, let me beseech you to repent. The apostle says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And this, I believe, is the greatest work of the ministry. To do what? To persuade people to submit. We are constantly talking to thousands of people who know just what God wants of them. We cannot bring many of them any new light or new gospel. They know all about it. They used to tell me that so often that I longed for a congregation of heathen, which I have found since then. Consequently, when they hear the gospel, like the tax collectors and sinners of old, they go into the kingdom, while some of you, who are the natural children of the kingdom, are shut out, because when they hear, they receive, and submit and obey, while you stand outside and hold on to your idols and reason and quibble and reject. My dear friends, let me persuade you to trample underfoot that idol to tear down that refuge of lies and to come to God honestly and say, Lord, here I am to be a servant, to be nothing, to do anything, to suffer anything. I know I shall be happier with your smile and your blessing than with all these evil things that now keep me away from you. When you come to a full surrender, my friends, you will get what you have been seeking. Some of you have been seeking for years. But then another difficulty comes in and people say, I can't repent. Yes, you can. That's a grand mistake. You have the power to repent, or God would not command it. You can repent. You can, this moment, lift up your eyes to heaven and say with the prodigal, Father, I have sinned and I renounce my sin. You may not be able to weep. God nowhere requires or commands that. But you are able this very moment to renounce sin. To renounce it in your purposes, in your resolution, in your intentions. Mind, don't confound or don't confuse the renouncing of sin with the power of saving yourself from it. If you renounce your sin, Jesus will come and save you from it. Like the man with the withered hand, Jesus intended to heal that man. Where was the power to come from to heal him? From Jesus, of course. The benevolence, the love that prompted that healing all came from Jesus. But Jesus wanted a condition. What was it? The response of the man's will. And so he said, stretch forth your hand. If he'd been like some of you, he would have said, What an unreasonable command. You know I can't do it. I can't stretch forth my hand. Some of you say that, but I say that you can. And not only that you can, but that you have to, or you will be lost. What did Jesus want? He wanted that, I will, Lord, inside the man, the response of his will. He wanted him to say, yes, Lord. And the moment he said that, Jesus supplied strength and he stretched his hand and he was healed. Don't look forward and say, I shall not have strength. That's not your matter, that's God's. He will hold you up. He is able when you once commit yourself to Him. Now then say, I will. Never mind what you suffer, it shall be done. He will pour in the oil and the balm. His glorious, blessed presence will do more for you in one hour than all your struggling, praying, and wrestling have done all of these weary years. He will lift you up out of the pit. You are in the mud now, and the more you struggle, the more you sink. But Jesus will lift you out of it and put your feet on the rock, and then you will stand firm. Stretch out your withered hand, whatever it may be, say, i will lord you have the power you have the ability you have the mind you have the obligation which is universal and immediate god now commands all people everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel he would be a tyrant to command us to do that if we didn't have the power or ability to do it now do you repent don't fall into the old snare not do you weep the feeling will come after the surrender don't say well i don't feel enough do you feel enough to be willing to forsake your sin that is the point any soul who does not repent enough to forsake his sin has not repented at all when you repent enough to forsake your sin That moment your repentance is sincere and you may take hold of Jesus with a firm grasp. You have a right to appropriate the promise. Then it is look and live. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Will you come to that point now? Don't begin making an excuse. Now. All people. Everywhere. Now. My friend, if you had done that ten years ago... You have been accumulating sin, condemnation, and wrath ever since. God commanded you these ten years to repent and believe the gospel, and you're still here. How many sermons have you heard? How many invitations have you rejected? How much blessed persuasion and reasoning of the Holy Spirit have you resisted? How much of the grace of God have you received in vain? I tremble to think what an accumulated load of abused privilege, lost opportunity, and wasted influence such people will have to give an account for. Talk about hell. The weight of this will be hell enough. You don't seem to think anything of the way you treat God. People are very much awake to to any evil they do to their fellow men. They can much more easily see the sin of hurting their neighbors than of hurting the great God. But he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. Do you not see the awful weight of condemnation that comes upon you for putting off, rejecting, resisting, vacillating, halting while he says now, now? He has had a right to every breath you have drawn, to all your influence, every hour of every day, of all the years of your life. Is it not time that you ended the controversy with God? He may do with you as he did with such people once before, swear in his wrath that you shall not enter his rest. Are you not provoking him as they provoked him? My friend, be persuaded now to repent. Let your sin go away and come to the feet of Jesus. For your own sake, be persuaded. For the peace, the joy, the power, the glory, the gladness of living a life of consecration to God and service to your fellow men and women, yield. But most of all, submit because of the love that God has for you. A great, rough man, stricken down, said to my husband a few weeks ago, when he looked up to the place where other people were being saved, Mr. Booth, I would not go there for a hundred dollars. My husband whispered, Will you go there for love? And after a minute's hesitation, the man, brushing the great tears away, rose up and followed him. Will you go there for love, for the love of Jesus, the great love with which he loved you and gave himself for you? Will you for the great yearning with which your father has been following you all these years. For his love's sake will you come. Go down at his feet and submit. The Lord help you. Amen.
2: Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has ever heard, no ear is perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. God is waiting for you today. Will you leave your sin? One man we spoke with, are you going to go back to your alcohol? Well, I don't know. I don't want to. But yeah, that's possible. Really? Guaranteed he's going back to his alcohol if he doesn't change his attitude. Because he doesn't see. He has no will to submit to God. Another man. We said to him, You need to get rid of your television. And you need to turn off all of your dating websites. And you need to wait on God. Well, frankly, it's not about the television and it's not about the dating websites. It was about what was exposed in this man's heart. As he very angrily said, I am not going to allow anyone to control my life. I'm in charge of my own life and I'll do what I want to do. You can't tell me that I have to do this. Well, of course I can't. But what was exposed was a hard-edged rebellion. That's what God was getting at in his heart. Oh, and he talks a good game. Oh, I love Jesus and I want to serve him. But he doesn't want to submit to him. Repentance is submission to God. It is choosing to renounce that sin. It's choosing to go a different direction. And once that's done, it's done. And a whole new life begins to open before you. Will you make that decision today? will you renounce your sin? And I don't need to tell you what it is. I don't know what it is, but you know. The Holy Spirit's been dealing with your heart. It may be bitter cynicism and anger. It may be disappointment that life hasn't worked the way you wanted it to, and you're mad about it. It may be smoking and drinking and carousing it may be fornication it may be pornography I don't know what the sins are but you know what they are and it's up to you to decide if you're going to continue in that sin and claim you're a Christian which you are not you're not a Christian until you have renounced your sin and left it and been born from above by the Spirit of God will you leave your sin And will you follow Jesus? Almighty God, I come today pleading for every person listening to this broadcast. I rejoice for those who have made the decision to leave their sin and are walking clean before you. Lord, thank you for them and I ask your richest blessing upon them today strengthen and encourage them. Lord, some of those are crying out for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We stand by faith that you will pour out your Spirit in power upon this city. And then, Lord, there are some today listening who are still caught in their sin because they choose to be caught. They will not renounce this wickedness and submit to you Lord please come down come down thank you Jesus I pray in your holy name amen
3: you've been listening to pilgrim's progress where ray and alexandra greenlee from the national prayer chapel write to us at the national prayer chapel post office box 2346 woodbridge virginia 22 one nine five. You can also visit our webpage, NationalPrayerChapel.com. That's NationalPrayerChapel.com. You can listen to this message again, as well as past messages. And join us again tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m. for another episode of Pilgrim's Progress.
2: God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon.